the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about something going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, Car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Again, I hope you had a great day in church yesterday. We did here at Calvary Chapel. Um, um, really encouraging message, at least from my perspective, out of Acts chapter 28. By the way, we're going to be finishing the book of Acts next Sunday here. So all of that is on tap. Um, tonight here we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Um, everybody worships together, and then they go in their different directions. So you can make it a family affair tonight. Uh, and uh, ladies, if you can't make it, you can watch live stream at calvarysa.com. Um, it's always better to be here because of the conversation, the discussion and questions that happen after the fact. Uh, but uh, you can watch it live stream as well. Well, let's get to some questions while we uh, wait your phone calls. Beverly says, uh, your opinion, uh, homeschooling? or public or private school. Uh, Beverly, this isn't really, I don't have kids. I mean, I got hundreds of kids here at the church, but uh, I, you know, this, this is a decision that families have to make with a lot of prayer. I can say, and this is a change for me over the last four or five years, uh, I used to be one of those pastors who said, no, put your kids in public school. They need Christian kids, and they, they, the, the Christian kids need opportunities to use their gifts and witness. Uh, but, but public school has turned into an indoctrination of our children, and uh, our kids are so impressionable. Even with the influence at home that is godly, our kids can be so impressionable, and it causes all kinds of confusion. So I absolutely now, Beverly, from this point forward, um, uh, just would would not recommend public school for anyone. Now, I realize that some families do not have a choice. Uh, if that's the case, you need to be extra diligent in preparing your child, learning, uh, teaching them what discernment really is, and just making sure that they're rooted and anchored in the Word of God, uh, that they're seeing a godly mom and a godly dad at home. Um, um, otherwise, the public school system is going to consume them. Um, regarding homeschooling, I've I've never had a 
strong opinion on homeschooling, if that's what you feel called to do. And, and I think this is the key, if you are a gifted teacher, I think one of the problems I've seen with homeschooling um, over the years is that um, there's so much pressure put on the, the, the mom or the dad who's doing the, the teaching at the homeschooling. Uh, and if they're not a gifted teacher, it just it just ruins everybody. It just takes all of the fun out of it. Uh, and, and it's very important that the kids are taught. It's very important uh, that there is a routine, that there's a schedule, that the child gets up and gets dressed. Uh, routine is very important. It's, it's very important to to establish uh, for your children uh, in the future. They need to understand there's deadlines and times. And um, But if you're gifted to teach, if it's what the Lord is leading you to do, I have no issues with this. I will say one thing. Uh, we do a lot of testing of kids. We get a lot of new kids that apply to our school. And um, the, the, the homeschool kids, by and large, and this is almost universally true, um, the homeschool kids are 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 well behind the kids that we have uh, in the grade that they would be going into. So it just you just have to be sure this is a calling from God. Now let me talk about private schools. I understand that most families, maybe that's unfair, many families can't afford uh, the price of of private schools. Uh, I, I get that. Um, that's one of the reasons I believe that the Lord has given us a free school. Uh, we're in our 26th year, I guess. And um, um, it, it's it's a, a miraculous work of God. Uh, we have 135 students in our school next year with our new building. Uh, please keep praying that God would, would uh, not only provide, but all the work would get done. But next year, we're going to be able to increase that significantly. Uh, so uh, I think a free private school is the best option. However, if that's not available to you, then it really is barely a matter of prayer and conviction. And uh, I, I think the Lord will speak very clearly to your heart about what's best in your situation for your children because he loves them. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a criticism of me, anonymous. Uh, I think you went too far in your sermon yesterday condemning social media. Well, anonymous, we will agree to disagree. Uh, social media, um, I was talking just for the rest of you, I was talking about uh, the snakes and shaking them off. Uh, the Apostle Paul was on the island of Malta and he was serving. as a neat thing. He was serving, and as he was serving, a, a viper uh, was awakened out of hibernation, fastened itself on his hand, and of course all the islanders thought he was going to die. Uh, and of course that didn't happen. So... Um, um, one of the things that I was talking to our church about was uh, the snakes that are waiting. And social media is a snake pit. Social media is a snake pit. Now, Anonymous, you don't tell me how old you are. But the reality is there's almost nothing good, nothing godly that happens on social media. Now, I get people all the time that will say to me, well, well I'm sharing the gospel or I'm doing apologetics. And often what that means is they're arguing with people or debating with people. There's no value in that. People don't need our opinions. That's also sort of the bastion of social media. Everybody has an opinion and your opinion different than my opinion. Uh, the reality is it is our responsibility to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be light. Uh, one of the things that I said in the message yesterday was that your keyboards or your cell phones, they're a snake waiting uh, to wake up and bite you. And so I just don't see anything of value coming from social media at all. And uh, remember, I've got a lot of people uh, who are immersed in social media, um, um, and, and they, there's just not been anything of value that has come from it, when in fact, if we would take that time to be in the Word, if we take that time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, then uh, I think the, the Lord would do a lot of good through it. I think we've got to decide, Anonymous, whether we are um, dealing with things above or things below. Social media is way, way below. So I appreciate your opinion. 
Uh, it doesn't change mine, but thank you for expressing it very, very much. Let's go to our first caller today. We've got Daniel on line one. Daniel, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Uh, hello, Pastor Ron. I was actually in service yesterday, and it was great. Uh, I was there through the whole service. It was really good. And uh, I on back onto the snake latching onto Paul and him shaking it off, and then you had said, you know, we're going to have snakes everywhere. So I had a, a question about how to go about a certain situation at work. Okay. Because during my, I took a job out of town, so I make it, I leave Saturday, I get back in time in San Antonio to make it a service. But uh, at church, I mean, I mean at, at work, I'm very um, upfront about my faith in Jesus Christ. And on my lunch break, I, I read scripture. Uh, on my breaks, on my breaks, I read scripture. And it seems like almost, since I started doing that and let it be known that I'm a Christian, that I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, it, it just seems like I started getting a whole bunch of problems. It's a really good paying job. And so how do I, do I continue to, to do that or the workplace? Should I not because of, of maybe some kind of retribution about like, okay, well, you know, his beliefs don't align with our beliefs. Uh, he's for lack of a better term, you know, that people like to use all kinds of ugly terms for a, a, a Bible-believing Christian, mm-hmm. should I kind of ease up at work and not maybe be so upfront about it, or should I still keep doing what I've been doing, even though, you know, there's obviously a lot of snakes around that don't like that, and it, <laughs> it's already kind of stirred up uh, kind of a problem for me, and I've only been out here two weeks. Yeah. Well, what do you suggest about how, how would I handle that situation at work? Daniel, uh, thank you for this question, and it, it might be, I, I really want you to pay attention to my answer. This is the best question I'll get all week, I can promise you that. It's very, very important that we understand. There is no exemption from being a light in the workplace. You know, a lot of times, and people will hit me with this, well, you know, in, at the workplace, we, we can't really talk about Jesus, we can't read our Bibles at lunch, we can't, and, and my response is, well, Why? Well, people don't like it. Well, that's okay. Jesus promised that people wouldn't like it. He said they hated him. They're going to hate us. They insulted him. They're going to insult us. And here's the thing, and I'm so grateful you said it's a good-paying job, because this is when the tests come in. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It is required. I'm going to make this very personal to you, Daniel. It is required that Daniel must prove faithful. Every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Daniel, that's you, and you're proving faithful, and the Lord is so pleased. So just because others don't like it, and just because there's snakes, spiritual warfare, I promise you, the Lord is standing there with a huge smile on his face, sort of pointing, Daniel, that's my man right there. And and what we've got to do is understand that that's our responsibility wherever we are. And if we let people who don't like hearing about Jesus change us, then it is a compromise with darkness. So, Daniel, when you're at work, and I have no doubt about uh, this with you, but but uh, when you're at work, you work. And you work hard and you work as unto the Lord uh, and you're not doing other things. Uh, your witness is important. But who you are can't change. Who you are cannot change, and the Lord will bless it. And with regards to losing a high-paying job, um, I think one of the things that we've got to understand is that God always rewards the faithful. He always rewards the faithful. That doesn't mean that you won't have friction. It doesn't mean that there won't be spiritual warfare. It doesn't mean that you won't even get fired because you don't fit in with the rest of the people. But here's what it does mean. It means that Jesus will be there with you, that his grace is sufficient. Think about the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, when snakes in his life were trying to use his imprisonment as an indication that he wasn't being blessed by God. And Paul says, uh, it has become apparent throughout the whole palace guard that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And that's what Jesus is really and truly concerned with. And so Paul suffered hardships. Daniel, you may suffer hardship as well. But the Lord will be there with this puffed up chest, so proud of his son. And that's the only thing that really matters. So don't let 
the snakes change you, remember that they are the object of your ministry, not the enemy of your ministry. That that way it keeps your heart from getting too hard. And uh, when things get really hard, understand that when light comes into darkness, that light blinds those who are in the darkness and they don't like it. But there's going to be somebody there who's going to notice that Daniel was different. And when his life or her life is falling apart, well, that's when they're going to come to you and ask, what is it about you that's different? So it's really important, you know, for the, all of you in the audience. I, I get questions all the time. Well, well, uh, um, you know, at the workplace, we don't want to offend people. Jesus said the gospel is an offense. And that we don't want to share because we're going to be uncomfortable or other people might be uncomfortable. You can search your Bibles cover to cover. There's no exemption from our responsibility to go out and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in the parable of the sower, Daniel, Jesus says that we're to sow the word of God everywhere we go. And the eight hours or ten hours, whatever it is that you're at work, there's no exemption. You're to do that. And then whenever the consequences come to bear, and you were here yesterday, obviously, Daniel, so when when uh, um, trials come in the middle of that, when your attack, spiritual warfare begins, that's when you got to remember that Jesus is pleased with me. He knows exactly what I've been doing. And I'm going to trust my heart with him. And he'll be with you through those kind of storms as well. And just like the Apostle Paul in our Bible study yesterday, uh, you will arrive safely on shore. It doesn't mean it will be without hardship. It doesn't mean that that everything's going to go your way. What it does mean is that you can depend on, 100% depend on, the fact that Jesus is pleased. So you hang on, Daniel. You keep doing it. And uh, believe me, whatever that good-paying job is, none of that is worth as much to you personally or practically as Jesus' pleasure with you. Think about Jesus smiling at you. It doesn't matter if the whole world condemns you. Jesus' smile is enough. Truly, his grace is sufficient. Best question of the week, and it's only Monday. Thank you, Daniel. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is somebody else who was either here or listening online yesterday, Joey. He said, you said yesterday that Mark chapter 16 was disputed. How can we trust the Bible if there are these disputes? Um, uh, disputed, Joey, doesn't mean that it's not correct or that it doesn't belong. It's not a contradiction. Uh, The reason I even brought up Mark chapter 16 is because Paul being bitten by that snake and shaking it off into the fire and not getting sick or not falling dead, um, that, that was predicted by Jesus himself in Mark chapter 16. It was a literal fulfillment of what Jesus promised. Um, So by disputed um, theologians, commentators have been arguing for probably nearly 2,000 years uh, on whether or not it belongs at the end of Mark. I believe with all of my heart it does. Um, some people say, well, it doesn't belong because uh, it doesn't fit the context. It's not the, It seems like it was stuck in there. Um, and depending on which set of manuscripts the Bible you read is translating, uh, it will either be there or not be there. And if it's included, uh, it always has their disputed uh, text that the newer uh, versions or translations, they will let you know that it's a disputed text. It's not found in some later manuscripts. Uh, the King James, the New King James, those of the majority transcripts, uh, they just put it out there because it belongs. So that doesn't mean we can't trust the Bible. Whenever you come, and there are several of those disputed texts in our New Testament, uh, when you get to that place, Uh, All you have to determine is, well, does it fit the context and does it contradict anything else? And the answer to both those questions is always going to be yes. It's always going to be yes. It fits the context and does it dispute or contradict any other? The answer to that question is always going to be no. And so uh, you can easily conclude that, that regardless of who's right, does it belong or doesn't belong, 
you can conclude that it is worthwhile and valuable. So, Joey, we can trust our Bibles, believe me, uh, for you, for all of us as believers. The most important thing that we can do is make a decision personally and individually. Everybody has to make this decision on their own. Are our Bibles the Word of God, literally the Word of God, or are they just a book written by men? And the answer to that question is going to determine how fruitful, how abundant and passionate and rich your life in Christ is. But everybody, Joey, has to make that decision on their own. I've shared this many times on this show. But for me, um, uh, I had so many questions as a young believer. And every time I'd ask a Christian a question, they would respond with, the Bible says, and they'd tell me what the Bible says. And it just didn't make any sense to me how the Bible could be written by men and written by God. I'd never even opened a Bible before I got saved. And so I just decided I got to find out if this Bible is trustworthy. And Joey and everybody else, that was the best investment of time I ever made. It took me just a little bit less than three months to really dig in, really do research until there was a day. And I'll never forget this day as long as I live. There was a day when it was so clear to me that every word in that Bible was inspired and I could depend on it and I don't have to wonder whether what I'm teaching or reading is true. I knew in my soul it was true. And from that time, Joey, from that very moment, I've never had a moment's doubt about my eternal security and I've never had a moment's doubt about whether the Word was really the Word of God and not just a book with suggestions. So, all of you in the audience, really make that choice for yourself. It will immensely, immensely strengthen your walk with the Lord and um, equip you for the enormous work that God wants to do in and through you. Great question. Here's a question from Buck. He says, I know we're not saved by works, so why do so many preachers focus on works in their messages? Buck, I'm not sure that's a fair assessment of of focusing on works. Now, here's what, as a Bible teacher, I try to do, and I think this is probably uh, true for most Bible teachers. Uh, We want our, our audience to know what it says and to know what it means and then to know how to apply it in our lives every day. You know, if I just tell you what it says and what it means and everybody goes home and says, so what? What's the value in that? I want to teach people to use it in their lives so they can be transformed. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, he says that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And then he says this, he said, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only place our minds can be renewed, made new, is in the word of God. So we do that and we have to teach the application. And I think the application is what you're focusing on. I told my people, for example, if God says you've got to forgive or you yourself will not be forgiven. Uh, somebody doesn't want me to, to preach about, well, you've got to forgive those people that have hurt you. Well, that's not fair. Well, you've got to do it. That's what the Word says. Um, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's not works or focusing on works. That's just demonstrating that if you're walking in the power of God's Spirit, then these are the characteristics that are going to be uh, obvious for other people to see in your life. So this is the kind of fruit that's going to be coming from your life. That's not focusing on works. That's just saying we got to serve. You know, James, the Lord's half-brother, um, he said, you know, you show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. And he's not saying that he gets saved by his works. But what he's saying is that being saved, meeting Jesus, results in a change, a transformation of mind and heart. And then in those situations, the works then follow. They're not works, I've got to do this. They're works, I get to do this. I can't believe God would entrust this with me. So, Buck, I don't think it's fair to say preachers focus on works. I know there are some really legalistic churches and preachers 
But if you're sitting under the teaching of one of those and you don't leave, well, that's on you. So um, the application, what does it say? What does it mean? Now, how do I use it? And that will transform you. One of the things, Buck, that I say all the time here at Calvary Chapel is, is if you've really met my Jesus, and when I mean my Jesus, it's very personal for me. The Jesus that apprehended my heart 32 years ago, almost 33 years ago, that Jesus, when you meet him, he changes you. And you do things because he's changed you. You do things because he loves you, because you're so grateful for all that he's done for you and through you. Um, it just changes you. Instead of looking in, you're looking out. So uh, if those are the kind of works that you're talking about, those really aren't works. That's just taking the word of God and utilizing it in a way that honors the Lord. So, Buck, we're not saved by works. You're right. But if you're truly saved, then there are going to be works that follow um, people, works that people will be able to see. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585. That's area code 210 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday program, 340-9585. We would love your calls. Here is a question from Willie. He wants to know, why did God strike Uzzah dead? Willie Uzzah is one of the great practical illustrations in our Old Testaments. Uh, Uzzah, uh, I mean, sometimes we look at this incident, we kind of feel like, well, God must have got up on the wrong side of the bed. He was a grumpy God that day. Not at all. God had given Israel very specific instructions about how the ark was to be transported. Now, in order for us to really understand this, We need to remember that the Ark of the Covenant was the presence of God. For us, really, it would be like the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Well, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, represented the presence of God, and that Ark would go before them. Well, when, through their carelessness, the Ark was captured um, or or in some other place, um, David, of course, wanted to get the ark back, and, and he issued the orders to do it. And the Levites, those who were specifically assigned responsibility for the proper care of the Ark of the Covenant and the transporting of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, God's presence is so holy, they couldn't touch it. I mean, there were very strict orders, and everybody knew it. But in their zeal, remember, they did the right thing. The heart was right, but they did the right thing the wrong way. And this is one of those verses that says, oh, this is what it means to have the fear of God. And they were way too casual. Uzzah was just doing reflectively what we would do. You know, the the ark, the oxen stumbled. The ark was about to fall. And he just propped it up. And we would think, well, that's a good thing. But nobody could touch the presence of God. Remember, Jesus wasn't there. You and I, we can. In fact, we have a more intimate relationship. Christ is in us. But this is just God saying, no, when you're doing my work, it has to be done my way. Now, the reason I said this is so practical for us is because too many of us, we want to do what God wants us to do, but we want to do it our way. We want God to meet us halfway. God says, no, 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 I never meet anybody halfway. God is a potentate. He is a dictator, a benevolent one, a loving one. But nonetheless, he tells us what to do. We got to do it his way way in order for it to bear any fruit. And the Levites, uh, you remember, even David was angry with God when Uzzah died. And I can almost imagine what David said, you know, we're just trying to bring the ark back, God. Why did you do this? 
Well, God simply got a hold of David's heart, and thankfully David was a man after God's own heart. And um, probably said something to David like, uh, check the word. You know how that ark is to be transported. You were way too casual with me. Now, this is also important for us all these thousands of years later because too many of us, we get way too casual with the Lord. You know, he is our friend. I love the fact that he's my friend, but we forget that he's also almighty God. He's a consuming fire, perfectly holy and perfectly just. And I think there are times when we lose, really, that filial fear of God when when we want to do something our way or we want to make a little compromise with the Word. Uh, I think when we do that, um, we think God ought to be okay with it. And God is never okay with anything that isn't done His way. He's given us His Word. He wants us to implement it. That's why every Christian who is not studying the Word of God is in a really dangerous situation. The enemy is going to fool them. The world that we live in is going to fool them. Uh, They don't have an anchor to keep them steady. That's what the Word is. And we're going to find ourselves in really difficult circumstances facing severe consequences when we try to do God's work our way. So that's why he struck Uzzah dead. There needed to be a fear of the Lord Uzzah in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uzzah's in heaven. We'll see him in heaven. And uh, he'll understand it completely when we get there. Great question, Willie. Thank you very, very much. Violet says, should we be praying the blood of Jesus over the circumstances in our life? Violet, you've touched on one of my pet peeves here. Uh, We don't have to pray or plead. I've had people say, well, I'm pleading the blood. We don't have to plead for anything that we already have. The blood of Jesus Christ is is over our lives, has already been poured out on our lives, and and we have overcome circumstances. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. And we need to understand that. So you don't have to beg for something you already have. I would save our prayer time, you know, when we're making supplications, and, and Paul says we've got to do that with a grateful heart. But when our hearts are grateful and we're asking the Lord for things, instead of asking for things that you already have, asking for the things that you don't have, the things that you need, and then you can spend more time in your prayer worshiping God and thanking God for the things that he's already done. We should never lose sight of the fact, Violet, that I can get up, you can get up every single morning and say, Lord, thank you. Everywhere I'm going to go today, you've already been there. The blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, has washed away all of my sins and and, and given me confidence that when I come to you, I can come knowing that you're going to ask or or, or answer my prayers, the prayers that are in your will. But the idea that we have to plead the blood over this situation, that situation, is antithetical to Scripture. It's just something that's done typically in churches or by Christians who aren't really that serious about teaching the Word or studying the Word. Uh, And so we just fall into these Christian cliches. So you don't have to plead the blood over anything. You already possess it. Thank you for the question, Violet. I appreciate it. Kevin says, I'm not really growing in my faith at my church. The messages are sort of fluffy. I've been going there for a long time. So what should I do now? Kevin, if you're not growing, then you need to move, get out of that church. Uh, there may be wonderful people around you, but but believe me, you're not going there for the people. You're going there for the Word of God. You're going there to hear what God wants for you and in your life to do, to equip you to do the will of God. So if you're not growing in church, go find a church where you can grow. Um, fluffy messages, seeker-sensitive messages, whatever you want to call them, really don't have any value. They are time wasters. And the fact that you've been in a particular church for a long time is no reason to stay in the church. Every church needs to be a place where the believer can grow. Ephesians chapter 4 says that our job as pastors, Bible teachers, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And if you're going to a fluff church or a seeker-sensitive church, then 
Um, you're not being equipped to do what God wants you to do. Not only are you not being equipped to do things, you're not equipped to handle the things in life that are going to be coming at you. So you got to dig in. Kevin, open your Bible. Really dig in. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and give you motivation. And believe me, that is a prayer he will answer. He will, he will give you a hunger for the word that, that you've never had before. But if you're on a fluff diet, you know, um, it's sort of like uh, eating cotton candy. Now, I like cotton candy. I've, from a kid, uh, at that time, I, I put cotton candy. I love the way it tastes, and then it just kind of disintegrates in your mouth. Um, well, you don't want that with the word. Cotton candy, it's fine. But you don't want that with the word. You want that meat of the word that's going to sustain you through the difficult trials of life that Jesus says is coming to everybody. So leave the church. Leave it lovingly. Thank them for all that they've done. And then find a church where you're going to get fed. And then you can use the gifts God has given you to serve others. And you'll experience a completely different church life. I promise you that. So, Kevin, thank you for asking. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, I keep having doubts about my faith in Jesus. What can I do to overcome them? Anonymous, we've got to get to the place. Remember, Paul says, writing to the Hebrews, that we, we have a faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Once and for all. In fact, it's done. There's nothing to add, nothing to take away. There's nothing new coming around the corner. So you've got to decide that you're going to believe it. I'll give you an example. It's just a verse that I use all the time for people that are dealing with tests or trials or temptations. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, um, No temptation is, 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 uh, sees you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll always provide a way out so that you can stand under the temptation. In other words, you can overcome the temptation. Now, you got to decide, do I believe that or not? If you really believe that, the next time you're tempted, instead of giving in to that temptation, you'll remember 1 Corinthians 10.13, and you will say, I can overcome this. I don't have to give in. Now, that's just one example. Well, the Bible over and over and over tells you that you're secure in Christ. The Bible tells you that this faith once and for all delivered to the saints is an enduring faith, that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. And then you've got to decide whether or not you believe that or not. And if you say, I believe it, remember that. You know, one of the things, uh, Anonymous, that I do with people here when they're really uh, um, struggling about, well, what should I do? Or looking for the Lord's direction. And, and I'll tell them, go pray. And if it's a husband and wife, I'll say, pray together. Then pray separately. And once you know for sure, I tell people to write it down, date it, and sign it. Because you know the doubts are going to come back. There's an enemy, Anonymous, who's bringing these doubts into your mind. And uh, he's good at his job. He's going to keep pushing that how-do-you-know button. You know, from the very beginning, uh, his lie was, did God really say? So you've got to decide, I believe it. I'm going to live it. And then you've got to practice it when those doubts come. And then as Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to, the, to Christ. And what you do then is you simply say, look, I know where those doubts come from. They come from an enemy. And I simply reject them. Jesus, I choose to believe you. And Anonymous, you're going to have to keep doing that until the enemy starts trying a different approach. Um, he wants us doubting. As much as the Lord wants us trusting, the enemy wants us doubting. And I always think about and this helped me, Anonymous, many, many years ago. But I, I, I can't help but to think about um, what I would have missed if I didn't trust the Lord, if I let every doubt take root. And so I decided a long time ago, I know what I believe, and I'm not going to doubt it's true. And when the doubts come, I'm simply going to reject those doubts and then follow Jesus. And if you do that, I promise you, you will overcome. So that's what you can do. 
Here is a question from Sanford. Um, I have said bad things about the Holy Spirit in the past. Have I committed the unforgivable sin? Um, Sanford, no, you haven't um, committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, when we used to curse God or use God's name in vain before we were believers, uh, we were saying horrible things, blasphemous things. But the blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sins. You've got to remember Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, when Sanford was in Christ, he was a new creation, or is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. What that means is that God has forgiven and forgotten all of those horrible things that you've said. And here's what you can do now. You can say, Jesus, thank you that I don't say those things anymore. Thank you that you rescued me from who I used to be. But none of that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said there's only one sin that is unforgivable, uh, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, practically speaking, what that means is we reject the work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives unto death. You know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. That's his job. The Holy Spirit said he will testify of, I'm sorry, Jesus said he, the Holy Spirit, will testify of me. So as he's testifying of Jesus to your heart, as he's convicting you of sin, I got to stop doing this, of righteousness, there's a better way, and of judgment. And what that means is if I don't accept Jesus, then I'm going to be judged. Um, If you, in fact, die in that condition, that's the only unforgivable sin. You know, sometimes we think people go to hell because of specific sins. The only reason somebody goes to hell for eternity is rejecting Jesus Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to declare Jesus to our hearts. So when we reject that, then we are lost eternity. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, it is... um, um, Every man's going to die once and then face the judgment. If that time comes, if you die in that place of rejecting the, the, the witness of the Holy Spirit, then there's no remedy for your sin left. One other thing about this, Sanford, because I get this question frequently. There are people who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Their hearts have become so hard that the Holy Spirit no longer knocks on their door, and even if he did, they they just wouldn't feel anything. Um, Just the notion that you're worried about it proves that you haven't committed that sin yet. So if God is knocking on the door of your heart, answer the door. Report for duty and tell him that whatever he wants is what you want. If we'll do that, things will be much better. Here's an anonymous question. Um, This one, uh, I I had a question similarly last week, or maybe the week before that, but anonymous says, I don't like when people use Jesus instead of Jehovah or Yahweh. I think it's disrespectful. Um, um, I, I I was misunderstood the last time I tackled this question. I also... Um, you said you don't like it when people use Jesus. I don't like it when people use Jehovah or Yahweh. It indicates a lack of of closeness, a lack of intimacy. Uh, it indicates that there's a sense of, of religious superiority because I'm using the Jewish name for Jesus. Jesus, if you one question I had was, well, J's weren't even invented until the 16th century. Uh, that may be true, but Jesus is the English transliteration of Joshua or or uh, Yeshua. Um, that's the name that we use in English. Uh, and, and what's really disrespectful is to reject the familiarity, and I don't mean in a bad way, but in a good way, that Jesus wants with us. I love the fact that in the Upper Room Discourse, John chapters 14 through 17, Jesus said, I call you friends. I call you friends. He says the Father loves us as he loved Jesus. And that's intimacy that we really and truly need. And uh, so I, I think to reject that intimacy in favor of sounding religious or sounding spiritual, I, I think, Anonymous, 
that that uh, Jesus would would be on my side in this. Now, if you're using Jehovah or Yahweh, and there's no ego involved, you don't think you're being more spiritual than other people. Um, well, then God bless you. Just just do what the Spirit is leading you to do. Uh, but nobody's being disrespectful by using the name Jesus. His name is Jesus. He will save the people from their sins. Uh, that's what he came to do. And we ought to respond like we're truly grateful and like we actually know him. He's not a stranger. We don't have to call him Mr. Yahweh. We can say Jesus. We can approach him. He's one of us. And he did that very thing so that we could approach the unapproachable God. I love the fact that Paul says that he lives in unapproachable light and yet we're invited to approach him every single day. Thank you for the question. Jenny says, what scriptures do you use to prove eternal security? Jenny, I am currently getting ready to teach First John on Sunday mornings. Um, John uses the word no um, and notes over and over and over in the book. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. Um, if he didn't want us to know, I mean, if it wasn't possible to know, uh, then then um, he wouldn't say that. He wants us to know. Um, typically, however, Jenny, what I use is Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, 13 and 14, where... Um, we're told that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit, the, uh, the, the, we, we might say as a down payment or as earnest money. We want to complete the deal. Well, God wanted to complete the deal. He gave us the Holy Spirit as a deposit. And here's the key, guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, Jenny, if I guarantee you that you're saved, my guarantee has no real value because I don't know the secrets of your heart. I don't know the things that are going on in your life. But remember, this isn't Pastor Ron giving you the guarantee. This is God guaranteeing your inheritance in heaven. Now, I don't know how much more secure we can be than that. You can go to John chapter 10, the Gospel of John, where Jesus said, The Father who is greater than I has you in his hand, and no one can snatch you from his hand. I also have you in my hand. I also have you in my hand. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Uh, the King James used the word pluck. I used to call that the double pluck security program. Um, and, and so he wants us to be secure in our salvation. So if you don't have security, if if you're always doubting your salvation, Jenny, I think the thing to look at would be the way you're living your life. I, I think the Bible is written, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. The Bible's written so that if we are committing sins, there's no way we can feel secure. The, the, the person who says, well, I'm a believer and I'm secure in my salvation so I can do whatever I want. No, that's not somebody who's really met Jesus at all. That's false bravado. What we really and truly need to do is live our lives to please him. Paul says, find out what pleases the Lord. That's the way to blessing. And if we do that, then we're going to feel secure. If our lives are characterized by the fruit of the Spirit instead of the ugly fruit of the flesh in 1 Corinthians 6 or Galatians chapter 5, um, then we're going to feel secure. It's when we are doing things that God doesn't want us to do and we know it. Well, those are the times when Doubts about our eternal security are going to come in. And too often when we want to know, Jenny, whether we're really saved, once saved, always saved, what we really want to do is know how much can we get away with, how much sin can we get away with and still be okay with God. And we can never be okay with sin. We can never be okay with sin. If you're worrying about that, Paul writing to the church at Rome after talking about grace, you know, uh, some will say, well, if God's grace increases every time I sin, then why not sin all the more? Um, Paul's response is, God forbid. So eternal security, I mean, if God is the giver and we've got a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, then how in the world could we even deny that fact? 
I know there are people who like to look at what other people do. Well, I know people that were saved, and now they're not walking with the Lord. They don't want anything to do with the Lord. Well, First John chapter 2, verse 19 says that they went out from us because they were never really part of us. The parable of the sower, Jesus tells. There's a lot of soil that the seed, the word of God, is going to fall on, and it's going to appear like it produces a crop. But as soon as the sun hits it, it's going to be scorched and, and wither away because there's no root. The soil is shallow. Well, the fact that somebody responded to the gospel doesn't save them. A transformed heart, really and truly meeting Jesus, Jenny, is what saves us. So I think eternal security, to doubt your security in the Lord, is really something that I think uh, would be very painful for the Lord. Um, Anonymous, I can do one question. got less than a minute. Why wasn't there a gospel written by Peter? Um, Peter wrote two epistles, but he didn't write a gospel. Uh, However, uh, the gospel of Mark is Peter's gospel. Uh, Mark, um, Peter would tell him the things were gone. Mark wrote it. And that's Peter's perspective on the gospel. So while he didn't write it himself, while it's not attributed to Peter, the gospel of Mark is Peter's perspective on Jesus' gospel. Hey, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Monday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.